This is Pamela Kuhn, and the curtain is up on Center Stage, the show about the arts and the artists behind their work. I find myself these days looking for inspiration and light in this world. It seems that every day we are met with news of the impeachment proceedings, the advance of the coronavirus, and political developments that lead me to feel that we are living on the edge of a knife. We are so bombarded right now in news that has the power to put us all in the grip of fear. But we don't have to stay there. We can still look for heroes. And I am always looking for the strength of heroic deeds that we as Americans have lived by in our existence as a nation. So in my role as a radio talk show host, I am happy today to be able to deliver some good news. I can share the stories I have experienced with inspiring personalities, and they need not be celebrities. Rather, real people who are fighting real struggles. For some, they have faced life-and-death situations and found the strength to go on under unbelievable odds. So I have two stories for you today which are my inspiration right now. They inspire us to realize that though there may be personal prisons in life, we can still search for the light. This, folks, is an inspirational episode. In 2017, the Flynn Gallery in Greenwich mounted the largest Cambodian art exhibition in the United States entitled Cambodia, Looking Back on the Future. It was a bold move by the curators at the Flynn, and the result was stunning. At the center were two Cambodian guests who, as children, lived through the campaign and atrocities of the Khmer Rouge in the killing fields of Cambodia. Poet Chat Persat and musician and human rights activist Arne Chornpan have found heroism in survival. Here is an excerpt from our conversation about the atrocities of war and finding the courage to walk out of the jungle through a living hell. So for both of you, both being refugees, really, literally running from the Khmer Rouge, can you just give us in the West an opportunity to really feel what it was like being so young, losing everything, being taken into these work camps? Um, did you have any rays of hope? Well, like for me, I think for every uh, people, people, group of people in the world, Nobody wants to be a refugee. We, we prefer to live, live in peace um, in our homeland. But due to the war, the circumstances that, that are now still going on around the world, uh, some people like us fled for safety. Yes. And we, we fled without knowing where uh, we would end up. And we only hope that there would be other people on the other side who are compassionate and helpful to us. As if uh, the same when Jesus was a refugee mm. and he, was, uh, he said that I was a refugee and you housed me, you sheltered me. And that's the kind of compassion that any um, group of people would hope for when we flee our homeland. And nobody is... We are a group of people that have very little choice in terms of how we didn't flee for economic reason or anything. Right. We fled because we fear for our lives. Oh. 
we we in the West don't have an understanding of this truly. Um, I know Arne, you know, the closest we can get, of course, is reading, and well, we had it on on the news every night, unfortunately, with, with the war and in Vietnam for us. But we we've all seen the the film, The Killing Fields, mm-hmm. and you literally lived that story. You you fled. Um, the work labor camp uh, as a youngster, but first, before that, what saved you was being a musician. Am I right? Yes. I mean, the Khmer Rouge uh, forced us to, to play their revolutionary songs and dance. I mean, in the midst the mid of killing, uh, massacring people, sometimes they used uh, uh, our music, the sound of our music, to uh, cover up the screaming behind us that they were killing people behind us so and many of our children were also forced to push people into the grave i i'm not sure why they were also targeted the, me i knew that a uh, little bit that they they think i have a wider skin and longer fingernail uh, not fingernail like finger Mm-hmm. My fingers were long, and they think I'm from middle-class family that were pro-Americans. So there are a lot of times I've heard the word Americans, uh, and they don't like Americans. They don't like the West. So anybody who even, uh, you know, have scar that were indicated that they were wearing glasses, mm-hmm. they were educated, they were targeted, they were slaughtered. So one million children died, starved, and were killed, and a quarter of the population of Cambodia, of 15 million, were slaughtered and and like a pig, you know. Uh, They play games with death, you know, with the dead. Uh, Sometimes they would put American helmet into a a person while they were laughing, the the dead. They put American helmet and put cigarettes. So war always... You know, degradation, humility, and it, it, it was hell beyond words for all of us. I was only probably 12 years old, and then um, they took the instruments away from me when uh, the Vietnamese invaded Cambodia in 1979. I was caught by the very people who also starved my, my brother, my little brother, my little sister, and killed some of my relatives. Uh, the Khmer Rouge, uh, cut, uh, f- were forced to carry guns and yes. fight against the Vietnamese. So then you picked up a gun instead of a musical they instrument. Pro- they took the instruments away, and they, I didn't pick up. They really shuffled it into your face. I saw if you didn't, you don't know how to. Some kids were scared mm-hmm. to take the guns from them. They they got shot. So when it comes to me, I I have to figure out. Uh, whether I have to take it. Yeah. So, uh, life or death, every minute. And how, for how long a period did you carry again? I think probably uh, six months to a year, but uh, I was living in a jungle part of my time. I ran off from the line because I couldn't, uh, I couldn't uh, bear it. Seeing, seeing many of my my uh, my friends, they were little little kids like me, mm-hmm. 
shot left and death and shot left and right from me you know um, and you were being starved you you yeah, literally yeah. worked incredibly long hours that are inhuman we were in full war now after that we we mm -hmm. had to recover they they found out that they kept they had to the Khmer had to give us some a little more food to to first to play music to dance mm -hmm. and then to, to be the soldier my gosh and what, what kind of strength did you have as a child to literally drop your gun and run away? Well, it was very hard. It was also, a, 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 I felt like the Khmer Rouge uh, can read your mind. Uh, mm. Just to mm. decide, you have to hide from your own self. To whether you have to, at any moment, you have to decide to do it. And. It, it was just life and death situation, a decision that you made. So I'm not sure how I survived even in the jungle of Cambodia. They Later on, people were like measuring, especially when the book Never Fall Down started it. And pa Patricia McCormick you know, went to Cambodia. Surprisingly to me that she decided to go to Cambodia and, and, and experience what I had told her. Mm -hmm. I never. She said, "No, I don't know what I can go to Cambodia." She told me in the beginning, but then she went. She calculated that we were zigzagging, walking, mm -hmm. um, like uh, four hundred kilometers. Four hundred kilometers. kilometers in in that part of the, uh, eastern Cam uh, Cambodia, mm -hmm. uh, in the jungle. So uh, six months to a year, almost like an, a, a lifetime for me, especially the, the life that I run off into the jungle but it's, by myself. It's almost unbelievable that you, you were successful, that you were able to survive. I wouldn't be here. If, if um, there were there was things that, uh, you know, the star, it was a star, starvation in the jungle itself, but mm -hmm. uh, there was a lot of uh, like snakes and, and uh, you know, I was a little kid. I mean, we didn't have proper clothing mm -hmm. and I had cerebral malaria. And uh, also the leeches, there were both, there's white leeches and black leeches in the jungle, especially the small snake, the, the smallest they get, the, the poison they, 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 they have. And you wouldn't stand a chance. So, and on the top of that, we didn't even know that there, that we, we were, we, I was hearing explosions. And as you may know now, that landmine is like, mm -hmm. uh, more landmine buried in Cambodia, just uh, um, a second to uh, Afghanistan, like millions of landmines that are still there today. So it's literally a miracle you 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 made this distance, <laughs> and you made it to Thailand. Yeah, to a refugee camp where I met my foster father, uh, Peter Pan, who, 1980, brought me to New Hampshire. Do you think that that was a sense of destiny? Do you think that you literally walked into his arms, that this was a bit of a miracle or maybe just luck? I did not know, but uh, all of that, I think, happened. Luck or a design or whatever you call it. But Peter also has his own story. I mean, he, he didn't go there just for a tourist or anything. Right. He, he visited his mom, uh, who was the a wife of the former ambassador from the United States to Thailand. He died there and she ended up became a very good, very close friend of the Queen of Thailand, the powerhouse. And she, the, the Queen asked her to live there, to stay there in the compound. So Peter in 1979, with Peter Jr., almost my age, uh, he was uh, 12 years old, but 
Peter Junior was like 100 pounds, I was like 30 pounds, you know, for a 14 year old. So Peter went by accident uh, to, to Thailand to visit his mom, but heard about the refugees coming across the border from Cambodia, mm-hmm. and he heard that it was like it, it, it was a killing field. Mm-hmm. But some people said that in Thailand, in Bangkok, people said that, no, no, it was economic refugee. They, they were starving, that's why they ran off from Cambodia. But there nobody, like Chad was saying, not, n- nobody yet have recognized that Cambodia running, running away for their life because the Khmer Rouge killing field. Yes, and, yes. and America also say the same thing. That's why other countries follow America. Mm-hmm. They didn't want to take any refugees out of, of, of the camp. So my dad uh, literally stepped on us when we were in the camp. I mean, he's literally stepped on me, and I put my arm around his neck. Uh, it was a white cloud like at that night, and many, many children were, were drowned to death. And uh, I don't know what happened... The next morning he came back and just trying to, <laughs> there were many children, but he was trying to, uh, was trying to find, find me. Isn't that <laughs> yeah, so, so, so sometimes the meeting is meant to be. That's right. Yeah, like I think so. I think there's a certain synchronicity here too. Yeah. And it, indeed, uh, between you both. Um, but Chet, uh, how did this Khmer Rouge affect your life? How, how old were you when, when you were taken from your family? I was seven years old, and um, I didn't um, witness the kind of atrocity that I had witnessed. But in my area, there's um, uh, basically we had to work from uh, 5 a.m. to 7 p.m. And after 7 p.m., you have a meeting where you, uh, you, you meet and then you get only one meal a day, a day the entire so the meal is one ladle of rice porridge. And if you know what rice porridge is, it's basically um, a few grains of rice. Mm-hmm. It's like liquid, mm-hmm. so you can just swallow in one gulp. You know? so, so that's all we... Uh, what I remember from my experience is the, the, the memory of hunger. Yes. So to this day, I still think of food like I'm... Um, I would rather spend money on food, on good food than anything else. So for me, like, um, food is always um, a luxury for me. Both Chad Persat and Arne Chorn Pond are now living and thriving in the United States. They carry on with their work in the arts and enlightening the world about the need to remain informed about the past and the future of Cambodia. But professional singer Lynette Leon is known in Fairfield County, Connecticut, as a woman of talent, social conscience, and faith. Diagnosed four years ago with thymus cancer, it has been her burden to live with the disease. But Lynette has the rather extraordinary ability in her faith to find the positive in what many of us would regard as a prison. She lives for her singing, which she does regularly as a soloist and chorister. Listen now as she seeks to find the light in her daily life. I contemplate things privately for myself. I don't oh, usually yeah. talk about them, you know. Mm-hmm. And I just, I don't know. I, I, I was thinking about this last night, and I thought, you know, I don't know if I really have something that will seriously inspire someone as much as it inspires me. Yeah, but that's valid. 
what inspires you, know. you darling. I mean, that's what uh, allows some of the rest of us to go on living for. Yeah. Don't you think? True. Yeah. I mean, I, I, there have been many people that have inspired me in my life. And I mean, some of them I couldn't even, they've been like angels. I call them my angels because, because I don't remember their names. was diagnosed um, and I could I don't know how to explain it but I didn't get sad about the diagnosis you know I guess I had no time <laughs> there was no time to get sad um, there was no time to question it I just went okay you know that's what I have they told me the treatment that I was going to have but immediately it was like the prayer started and I could People were pray people that I didn't even remember or or actually know. I found out were praying for me, mm -hmm. and all of these. I mean, people people don't understand the the emails and the thoughts and the the prayers. Even though I didn't see a lot of them, I felt them. Mm -hmm. Especially the prayers, I I felt them, and. There were people who were telling me that it's not your time, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know. Um, did that make you happy, or did it, did it have an effect? I don't know if it had an effect that I can really ex explain right now. But I I remember an incident in the hospital um, where. The doctors would come in early in the morning. Yeah. And sometimes I had to be awakened. Mm -hmm. But this one particular morning, I wanted to be up for the doctor. Mm -hmm. So I was, um, I, I was helped out of bed, and I was sitting in, in my lounge chair, and I had my blankets over me and all. And I was just thinking, I was thinking, I said, now what can I ask the doctor? And I said, I said, God, what can I really do? I don't, underst I don't understand this in the sense that my life felt like it was out of my hands. Mm -hmm. Of course. I felt, all the time I felt in control of what I was doing. <laughs> and now, at this moment, I didn't have any control. Mm -hmm. Um... Every, everything was being done for me. Mm -hmm. And if you know me, I like to do things myself. Exactly. Um, and I'm private in that fact. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't, I don't um, like to um, place my burden onto someone else. Mm -hmm. So if I don't have something, you would never know I don't have it. Um, and I'm going to do something so that I, I'll be able to get it. 
Absolutely. For those of us who know you, we know that very well about you, my dear Lynette. But I couldn't do this now. Right. I, I, there, there was nothing. Mm-hmm. There was nothing that I could do, and I, and I was contemplating. And I said, I just don't have a handle on this. Right. right. What can I do? So when, and then I thought about it. My God, if if I die now, what do I do? And there was nothing. So when the doctor came in and she said, do you have any questions or concerns? <laughs> <laughs> After, you know, going through my diagnosis with me. And I said, yes, I do. I said, for the first time in my life, I feel helpless. In the sense that I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. I said, I'm used to finding a solution for, that fits me. Right. I might not fit someone else, but it fits me. I'm used to going out and 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 getting what I need, even if it's less, or if I don't have enough for it, working something out. I said, I don't know how to do that. I can't do that now. <laughs> what do I do? And I, I couldn't believe it, because I was sitting, and my doctor was to the side, and she came in front of me and knelt down, literally knelt down, and looked up at me, and I said, wait a minute, this is a doctor doing this? Her human, the, not that doctors are not human, they are, mm-hmm. but they always, they, 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 some doctors leave you with the sense of, I'm here and you're there. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Is what I feel. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, there's a boundary. Yeah. But with this, with this doctor, there was no boundary. Beautiful. You know, she knelt before me, literally, and said, and she said that, I think she's, I think she said, I'm not sure, we need, we need help. Sometimes we need help. Mm-hmm. She's. And she said that we have people here that you can talk to if you should talk to them. Um, and so, for the first time in my life, I contemplated death because I said, well, will I die from this? And how long? And she said that I'm not God. And I wouldn't want to speculate that. She's just an angel. She was an angel, yeah. you. And really relates to you, heart heart to soul. Yes. That's yeah. rather amazing, Lynette. And You're so fortunate to have her. And I know this. I, I was like, I was, oh my God. But it sounds to me like she really understood what you were asking at that point. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's one thing to have, uh, you know, the death knoll really ringing. You yeah. Know, when the, the yeah. doctors give you the diagnosis. And you go, oh, okay. Because all of us are in shock. All of us are in a state of denial, you know, right, right. when we're given the C word. Right. And it's very hard to take in. And as you say, a couple of days, a couple of weeks go by, and suddenly, wait, I've got questions. Wait, we're, we're coming to an awakening here. Mm-hmm. And she saw that happening in you from the sound of it. Yeah. It was quite, it was, that was an extraordinary moment for me because, um, but, I mean, every moment I had at that hospital was extraordinary 
in the sense that I later I never read the the transcripts. I had a friend who was just wonderful and would email everyone, and everyone else knew mm-hmm. what my diagnosis was, but I really didn't. <laughs> and sometimes I think that was a godsend that I, I didn't so know. I think so too. I think it really was a godsend that I that I didn't know, um, because I probably would not have had the strength to really press on. Maybe mm-hmm. I would have, mm-hmm. but I didn't challenge it. But I said in the beginning, you're a searcher. You're always <laughs> pressing on. You know, so... You know, so many people who have been given the diagnosis of cancer, and certainly the cancer that you have is rather unusual, mm-hmm. and it's quite serious. And so many people would plunge into a state of either remorse or anger. Have you found yourself at at either of those altars uh, at all? I've never been angry. That's wonderful. I can I can literally say, I have not been angry um, about this. Um, I've contemplated. I've thought about the death. Um, and then I've let it go. And I'm not saying that, you know, I'm not saying that I've ignored it. Mm-hmm. I haven't ignored it. I realize and I know now that um, I can die from this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then sometimes I get really smart, as they say. Not book smart, smart, you know, on the, on the thing like, yeah. oh, yeah, we're all going to die anyway, so, mm-hmm. you know, I think that way. But I just believe that um, it is scary. Sometimes I, sometimes I am, sometimes I'm very frightened by it. But there's so much positivity coming into me. Mm-hmm. From other places, right? As you, as you, you know, re- recall about your angels and your leagues of friends you have, yeah. and of course, the bottom line, your faith and your singing. Yes, yes. If I, li- honestly, if they would have told me that I could not sing anymore, I, I would be dead today. Would you have given up? I would have given up. Yeah. Yeah. I would have given up because that's what's important to me. Mm-hmm. Singing is, is it um, really is my... Um, it's your bliss. My bliss, and I, it makes me close to my God. And your mom. And my mom, you know. So if I ever, if I were ever told that I couldn't do it anymore, there would be nothing for me. There, real, there literally wouldn't be anything for me. I mean, I, 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 love my, I love my friends. I love the people that I'm with. I, I love where I'm living now. I prayed for a place like this. And you got it. And I got it. It's yeah. bright. The sun comes in. Um, I see everything with light. As we have heard, prisons can be broken out of, but only with courage and relentless spirit. I hope these interviews will help to remind you that there are heroes in everyday life. But more importantly, I hope they will serve to lift us above our own personal prisons. More than ever before, it is our challenge to emulate their level of courage. This is Pamela Kuhn, and the curtain is now down on Center Stage.